0: This is Darrell Lahlia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 59.
1: Entrepreneur and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the Seven Minute Mentor Podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast.
0: I am MC Lobsher, the flow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions Podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions Podcast. For whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast, podcast and now your host DeRay what's going on btm tribe welcome back welcome to another installment another episode of the before the millions podcast super excited for today's show and i'm happy that you're here to join us this is your first time tuning in. Welcome to our podcast, the podcast dedicated to lifestyle design before the millions. So Kevin Hart, the comedian, has a scene in one of his standups where there's an altercation at a club and he's with his uncle. And during this altercation, I think like shots are being fired and everybody's frantic and everybody's running all over the place. So it's chaos. And Kevin and his uncle, I mean, they hit a mad dash for the car. Kevin hops in the in the passenger seat. He fastens his seatbelt and he's just like, we got to go. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of danger. Let's hurry up and get out of here fast. And his uncle is a really meticulous, calculated, rather slow person. So his uncle opens the door to the driver's seat, takes his time to sit down, takes his time to close the door, starts looking for the perfect radio station to drive off to, starts adjusting the rearview mirror looks back and makes sure that the rearview mirror is fully adjusted so that he can fully see everything that goes on behind him and Kevin. He looks over at Kevin to make sure that Kevin is doing okay, that Kevin is fastened his seatbelt and he's ready to go. And Kevin's like, I mean, come on, like I've been ready. Let's get out of here. You know, they're shooting and this is a dangerous place to be in. So as his uncle gets ready to drive off, he realizes that he may not have his keys. So he opens the car door. He starts patting himself, patting his pockets, and he's looking for the keys all to realize that the keys have been in the ignition the whole time. So he closes the car door <laughs> and he starts adjusting the side view mirrors. So he's just the left side view mirror and then he, then he adjusts the right side view mirror. And he looks at Kevin. He's like, Kevin, are you ready to go? And I mean, the scene ends after that. But all this time his uncle has spent getting ready to get ready. They've made no progress. And although the scene has ended and my visualization of the scene, I mean, they were in harm's way they never made it out the parking lot. They spent most of their time getting ready to get ready. They had a goal to leave and to get undercover and be safe. But because there was so much involved in Kevin's uncle's process, they never actually made it out the parking lot. And that's the situation with some of us when it comes to chasing our dreams, when it comes to going towards our desired outcome, when it comes to trying to get to our goal. We constantly spend time getting ready to get ready. So this past weekend in Brentville, Tennessee, I actually gave a speech on that exact thing. I gave a speech on overcoming fear and it was a powerful speech. I mean, everybody in the audience was moved by the speech. So I decided that I was going to give that same speech on Facebook Live in my Facebook group, the Facebook group called the Passive Cash Flow Lifestyle Group. And if you guys are interested in joining that group, visit beforethemillions.com group. And there you can watch that Facebook Live. You can learn the two key shifts that I use to overcome fear on a daily basis. And it's really, really valuable. And I definitely recommend you guys check that out. But I wanted to start this episode with that because I know that the single most prevalent thing holding you from opening up that new business or getting started in real estate or investing in your future, that thing is most likely not what you think it is. It's not the experience. It's not the education. It's not the know-how. It's not the money. It's not the connections. It's fear. And if you can overcome that fear, you are that much closer to your dreams. So I talk about two key shifts in overcoming that fear. If you guys want to join our group, visit beforethemillions.com slash group. And once you, uh, once we accept you in the group, you can scroll down to last week and you can find that video. You can find that Facebook Live on how to overcome fear instantly. So with that being said, guys, today's episode... Amazing. We are interviewing a man who is coined as the landlord coach, Mr. Mark Dolphini. And he's going to show us how he overcomes fear. He's going to talk about this process he likes to call the VIP process. And through these three key steps that he showed, that he walks us through, we're going to become VIP members. We're going to attain VIP status. That's what I like to call it. And it's going to be a fascinating episode, guys. Most great feats start with a plan. You know, There's a famous quote out there. I can't quite remember it now, but to paraphrase, plans are worthless, but planning is everything. Now I know that's nowhere near what the actual quote is, but that's my version of it. So think about that. Plans are worthless, but planning is everything. And through planning, we have a goal. We have a target. And because we've planned and we start working towards that target, we're going to pick up some experiences along the way. We're going to figure out what's successful and what's not successful. We're going to pivot. We're going to react. But what we're not going to do is fail to plan. Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you fail to plan, you'll never get started because there's no path. You haven't created that path. Although plans are worthless, and this should be the tip of the week. Although plans are worthless, planning is everything. So with that being said, let's actually get to the tip of the week. DeRay's tip of the week. Question everything. Optimistic skepticism is always good. A lot of us have heard the story of the little girl with the baking pan and her and her family, they get together every Sunday for Sunday dinner and they bake some of the best cakes in town. Now this tradition has been passed on from generation to generation. And now it's this little girl's turn to start baking for the family dinner. And the pan that they've always used is this really, really small half pan. And I mean, you can literally see that the pan is cut in half and it's a really, really small pan. So everybody gets a really small piece every time, uh, every time it's dinner time. So talk about savoring the moment. And you have this small little piece of deliciousness and you can't have any more because there's not enough to go around. So anyways, one day the little girl, she's kind of fed up and she wants more. She wants everybody else to have more of this delicious cake that her and her family makes every single Sunday dinner. So she asked her mom, mom, why do we use this small little baking pan? Why can't we make a bigger cake? Why can't we use a bigger baking pan? And her mom tells her, I just know that it's something that we've always done. So you should probably ask your grandma. She'd probably know a little bit better. I mean, it's not like the pan is magical or anything, but maybe there's something about the pan that allows the cake to be flaked at just the right temperature, that allows the cake to be just moist enough to be mouthwatering. So she goes on, she asked her grandma, why do we always use this pan? What is the significance of this pan that we have to use it every Sunday dinner to bake our cake? And her grandma was like, it's tradition. We've always done it. It bakes our cake amazingly. And I mean- if you really want like a more concrete answer, I think you should ask your great-grandmother. So she goes along and she asks her great-grandmother, she's like, great-grandma, why do we have to use this pan? I've been considering using a different pan and I just want to make sure that I don't mess up the recipe. I don't mess up anything. And her great-grandma was like, why not go use a, another pan? Are you guys still using this pan? Only reason I use this pan back in the day is because we had a really, really, really small oven and it was the only pan that could thin the oven. So that's why I use the pan to bake the cakes. I'm surprised you guys are still using this pan. How many times do we question what's tradition? How many times do we question the facts, quote unquote, that have been set ahead of us and that we must abide by, that we must follow, and that this is the exact way to do something? How many times do we just accept those things as fact? Think about that in your own personal life, whether it's at work, in your career, in your investing journey, starting a new business, becoming an entrepreneur, Starting to do real estate part time? What beliefs have you set in front of your goals that are preventing you from moving forward? Is it common knowledge amongst you and your friends that you must get your real estate license before you become a real estate investor if that's the ultimate goal? Is that what people around you are saying? Is that the norm? When's the last time you've questioned the norm? When's the last time you've questioned what has always been done? I call this a healthy dose of skepticism. You need this in your life. Question everything. Question everyone. Now, I say a healthy dose because you don't want to go on life, you know, second guessing everybody and being frantic. But, you know, ask yourself in the case of a real estate investor, what happens if I don't get my real estate license before I become an investor? If that's what I ultimately want to do, what would life be like? What would that look like? Would I be able to be successful? Have other people been able to accomplish this feat without their license? If you question things like that, you'll quickly find out that you know, in this case, most investors don't have a license. Most investors have never even considered getting a real estate license. But because you heard this through your uncle or your aunt or your friend, and they said that's the best way to go, that's the journey you start down. And when you start down that journey, you create a whole new host of problems. And all you want to do was become a real estate investor. But now you have to think about where you're going to get your real estate license from, what brokerage you're going to work under. What tests you're gonna have to take to get your license? How much are the fees? What state are you gonna operate in? So on and so forth. And you've created a whole new plethora of problems. And you solving these problems will ultimately lead to real estate investing. I like to call these problems busy work because you're chasing a goal before your goal. So think about it. Whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that you want to do, what limiting beliefs you have you put in front of that goal that are preventing you from moving forward, that are preventing you from taking action? Or maybe have you taken action on the wrong thing and wasting time? Healthy skepticism, guys. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Today, guys, it's a really special day because I have a really special guy on the show and his name is Mr. Mark Dolphini. Mark, how's it going?
1: It's going great. Happy Memorial Day to you and uh, to all the BTM tribe out there.
0: Yes, and all the vets out there, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Definitely, definitely. Well, for those of you who don't know Mark, Mark is a very successful real estate investor. He's a national speaker. He's an author. He's even a real estate coach. And he's been in this business for, I think, over 20 years now. And I think that when it comes to somebody who has, you know, who has aligned interests, what we talk about and what we preach about on this show day in and day out, Mark is one of those people. He's very passionate about sharing his past failures to help you and help me and help everybody that he comes in contact with literally be able to make a transition and not make those same mistakes. Mark's area of expertise is actually being a time wealthy investor, which you guys know, we may not use the same terminology, but you guys know this is one of the things that I'm I'm a very, very big, big advocate for. So we're going to have a lot of fun on the show. Mark, let's give the listeners, I mean, I've given the listeners a little bit of a background on you, but let's take it back, figure out how this whole real estate journey came about. So take us back in the time machine, Mark, and tell us about your inception into this whole entrepreneurial real estate journey.
1: Well, it's funny when we're talking about winding back the clock. I was sitting thinking about what really how far back this went for me. I remember my first endeavor. I mean, as a kid, we you know, many of us mowed lawns and painted fences and did that sort of stuff. But I remember very specifically my first entrepreneurial adventure was actually a vegetable stand. I actually grew and harvested squash of all things in this, uh, in this garden that my, my parents allowed me to, pl- to, to plant Up in, in upstate New York. I would you know try to sell them on the side of the road. Of course, you know one car about every four hours would drive by. So I had a volume, I had a liquidity issue on my, on my hands. It wasn't so much a, uh, an issue of product. That's really where I started. I've always wanted to do things on my own. I, just, I, I always loved the idea of being, being my own boss and doing my own thing.
0: I love that. I love that. So so when you grew up and uh, did you enter the workforce? Did you become a professional? Were you? Did you go straight into your entrepreneurial mode and, and start getting into real estate? What was kind of up next for you as, as a natural progression?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I did not actually. I always thought that I wanted to go straight into that, but unfortunately, I just, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, but real estate was always something that just fascinated me. I just loved the, the idea and the concept of owning a piece of the earth that was mine and I could call my own. I actually had gone on to, when I was in high school, I actually didn't do really well in high school. I actually graduated about 356 out of 358. So needless to say, I did not do very, very well in high school and then went on to what I referred to as 13th grade, which was the community college and uh, bounced around a little bit. Then, then really what kind of jerked my tail straight, so to speak, was my uh, when I went into the Marine Corps and definitely got my priorities in order, definitely realized that I needed to become very intentional, very serious about getting educated and, and moving forward. And whatever it was, I knew uh, that uh, even if it was something entrepreneurial, I just needed to get intentional about it. So I ended up leaving the Marine Corps after four years and then went to Purdue University, got my degree in accounting and while I went to Purdue, when I first joined or when I first got to Purdue, that's really where my real estate side of things really took off. I, and I started buying rental properties and figuring out how the banks worked. And of course, it was a little bit different times back then. In a
0: county, it's very common knowledge what your raise is going to be next year. It's very common knowledge what everybody's making. It's very common knowledge how much partners are making, how much managers make, how much senior managers right. make. And right. I started doing the math and I was just like, so you mean to tell me that with all these student loans all this debt that people are accumulating over the years, when you actually do the math, again, we're, I mean, we're two very analytical people. We took the accounting route. There's no way to actually be successful. There's no way to actually break free. And now I know that this is actually more prevalent than I thought it was. And as much as I thought it was prevalent back then, now you know, you, I, I will work with somebody who's making $400,000 a year. And I work with somebody who's making $40,000 a year. And at the end of the month mark, they both have $0 in their bank account. Right. And it's not about how much you're making. It's more so about financial literacy and knowing what to do with that knowledge and knowing how to build wealth for yourself and your family. I want to figure out why it is that people can be on two totally opposite ends of the spectrum and they have the exact same problems. So there, there's something to be there's something to be said about making more money or thinking that making more money is going to solve your problems and I want your take on that and how to actually solve the numerous financial problems that we face as a society every single day what it is that we should be doing and what it is that we should be focused on and how to maybe break the cycle that a lot of us see ourselves in
1: right that's it that's such a valid. I mean there's so many good nuggets of what you just said in there what you we're speaking about, especially when you're talking in, in the accounting world. And I did actually work for an accounting firm for a little while, which was really the, truly the worst years of my life. And uh, I won't say who the firm was because they're all the same. They, I mean, this was one of the bigger ones, but it, they're all the same that way. And there was a guy that I knew. He was he wasn't quite forty. that had died at his desk, and I thought, my God, he was a good guy. But they literally worked that man to death, and. I'm sitting here thinking, like, wow, his his wife and he's got he's got a couple small kids. And it's one it's a symptom of a disease that no one really seems to want to talk about, and that's time famine. And I remember when I had I had time famine, I was time weary, and I was making decent money, but I was so beholden to how I produced income that I had no time to enjoy it. And when you stop focusing on that nebulous number, whatever that is, and you start focusing on life output in terms of what you really want, that is really what's important. And I think from, from my perspective, at least, and this isn't the right way, but it's the way that I came up with, when I wrote about it in the Time Wealthy Investor, it was really about helping discover what uh, what I refer to as anticipated joy. And an anticipated joy for me is, is, is and I was trying to help my, the way I came up with this, I was trying to help my, the associates that work for me in property management. I was, when I was giving them their quarterly reviews, I was trying to help them come up with goals and help them with goal setting. And I was really a bit disappointed that people really have trouble coming up with meaningful goals. I mean, meaningful, like, not well. I, I want to you know I want to go on vacation, but it's something meaningful that you can really plug into and get and make it your reality. And I came up with this idea called the anticipated joy. And what I refer to as that is, it, let's say for argument's sake that you're planning on a vacation. You've been planning it for eight months, and the weeks leading up to you going on this two week vacation, you feel that that butterflies in your stomach sort of feeling, right? Yep. That's what I refer to as anticipated joy. And that's something that you can really plug into. And when you start thinking of your life in terms of moments of anticipation, anticipated joy, you can really then start focusing on the things that matter and quit focusing on the things that don't.
0: So, from and I love, I love that, Mark. So, from a financial aspect, how can, how can we create... How can we, in general, create more moments of anticipated joy or more moments of time freedom? How can we create those moments uh, in our daily lives?
1: Right. Well, it's going to be a little bit different for everybody, but the way that I did it was I came up with this paradigm called VIP, which is vision, infrastructure, and process. And it always has to start with vision because, again, this is about what you want out of life and when I when I often coach people or, or in my mentoring programs I'll, I'll usually start out with people and they'll say okay well what is it that you're you know you're looking for from this mentoring and they'll usually say something pretty nonsensical like well I you know I've got 30 rental units and I want to get to 50 or if they're a property manager well I'm at 250 doors and I want to get to 400 you know or something along those lines and I'd say wow that's great you know 20 you want to get to 25 rental units why not 250 why not to, you know, 2,500, what, what, what does that number have to do with anything? And when I, when I start peeling back the layers and I start really challenging them on what they want out of life and not what they want out of their, this vessel, this shell, which is their real estate business, once they start getting to that, then they start really getting to the, the vision that is really, really clear. And, and your vision should be so clear that it's as obvious as the past. Like, it should be as obvious as to what you ate for breakfast this morning. It should be as obvious as what you did five minutes ago. And when it's that clear, it's amazing how things in the in, in the world will just start to line up that way. And that's where you really need to get clarity in your vision in terms of really where you want to go. And write that vision down. And write it down first thing in the morning and write it out again at the, right before you go to bed. And do that for 30 days. And your vision will become so clear that you'll, all the nebulous crap will start to drop off. And then when you start to build an infrastructure around that business or, or you know, for your business, that infrastructure is going to be in alignment with that vision. So I'll give you a quick example as to what I mean. So when you set up your vision, let's say your vision for, the, for just on a very basic level is that you want to sit on the beach for a month in Spain, right? That's fine. Nothing wrong with that vision. That's your vision and you own that. But if you're going to be setting up an infrastructure that's going to be in line with your vision, you can't have an infrastructure that's going to retu- require you to uh, return emails and phone calls in a timely manner if you're going to be sitting on the beach for a month in Spain, right? So you need your vision to be clear. So when you're setting up your infrastructure, it can be in alignment with that vision.
0: So let's maybe progress down your path a little bit further, Mark. You know, you, you, you went to Purdue, you got your degree and you started, you, you bought your first property in college. Was this a single family home, by the way?
1: Yep, I mostly do single-family dwellings. Uh, That's always been my strategy, and that's it was it was uh, a small little uh, little three-bedroom one single-family house.
0: Okay. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the progression from there. And you had no prior experience. You, you maybe had some accounting experience, but I don't even think you had that because this was, this was your first year at Purdue. I mean, you just left the Marine Corps and you decided to buy your first investment property. How scary was that situation for you? And how were you able to buy that property with confidence knowing that you were doing the right thing? You were, you were setting up yourself for success in the future?
1: Well, I didn't know, but I took a lot of time to educate myself in terms of what the market looked like. I took a lot of time to educate myself in terms of what, at least what the numbers looked like, even though I didn't really think about how, uh, how I was going to run it. But yeah, I was, I was scared because here I am getting into 50000 $60,000 worth of debt with a mortgage and not having really any certainty that it was going to work out. So one of the things that I just figured out was activity really does cure a lot of fear. And when people are sitting around thinking about doing something, it's very easy to talk yourself out of doing it just because you're afraid of what the consequences might be. And I mean, there's some people that maybe jump into things a little bit too quickly, but you know, at some point you got to pull the trigger and either you're going to do it or don't do it. And that's a lot of times where I'm coaching people is because they get in this analysis paralysis, especially people in the accounting type fields where they don't want to be wrong and they don't want to make a mistake. But you just got to get to the point where you just realize, look, I am going to make some mistakes. It's going to happen. Just make sure the mistakes aren't going to be life ending and, and you're going to be fine. I mean, the, making mistakes is all part of it. So that's pretty much exactly how I started. And, and, that's, uh, and that's the route that I continue on today.
0: I love that. So, and I don't like to use this word failure, but I think that it's great in this context. So how has failure, or maybe apparent failure would be a better term. How has apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have like a, maybe like a favorite failure of yours?
1: Oh man. Yeah. So, (laughs) okay. So fast forward after I got out of uh, the accounting world and uh, decided to get into the, into real estate investing full time. Um, at that point in time, I had about 30 rental units and I had built up to 93 rental units all pretty much on my own and uh, through a hodgepodge of creative deals and wheeling dealing and all that other stuff that goes that goes with it, I had about $6 million worth of real estate altogether and bringing in about $65,000 a month and my life was complete and total hell because I was not running it as a business. I was running it as a side hustle and I was not a business owner. I was self-employed and there is a very critical difference between being self-employed and being a business owner. And I did not understand that. It wasn't until I had my Jerry Maguire moment where I basically (laughs) came down with double pneumonia and spent three days in the hospital because I was working myself literally to death that it really, I woke up. And when I, climbed out on the other side. Unfortunately, this was during 2008 and 2009, but I lost four and a half million dollars of real estate and uh, pretty much overnight. You know, when the labor market recession hit, it was, I I went from $65,000 a month in revenues to about $30,000 a month in revenues, month over month over month. And I I couldn't sustain that. And I ended up losing, I, I mean, two thirds of my real estate portfolio. I lost my house, my car. I mean, it was it was truly a bad time for me. So that wasn't necessarily an apparent failure. That was a disaster. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going to even try to paint that as something else.
0: For sure, for sure, that's incredible. And you know, I, I believe that was what molded you to be who you are today. That, that has been what has defined you. That has been that has allowed you to propel further and farther than maybe you ever thought possible. And you know, it's one of those things where at that time you were you were probably in a bad place. You had. Maybe limiting beliefs, you have these thoughts of, man, this is crazy. I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this, but you took your experience, you took your situation and you went to go produce some positive results with that. So let's talk about the next few years and, and how you were able to, to build up your portfolio to that point and even past that all over again. What did you change about your process? What did you change about your system? Or did you finally now create a system? Because as you said, before you were self-employed, and now you realize that you needed to have a business or maybe more so put a system in place that you can now call a business. So what did you do next to kind of create that system?
1: Right. Well, DeRay, when I mean it was a bad time, it, you, you hit the nail on the head. It wasn't even day to day. It was like breakfast to lunch. You know, it was, it was like, okay, just let me get to lunch. You know, okay. (laughs) And it was, I mean, and I mean, it was horrible. Like I didn't have enough money to pay both my electric and my gas and and my water bill. It was, it was truly a horrible, horrible time. But you know what? I got intentional and I knew my vision. I said, if I can get to the other side of this, if I can weather this storm and I'm going to come out on the other side, I'm going to be so much stronger. And that was my vision. So I got very clear on that. And, and you know what? That's exactly what happened. So, I got very intentional i I started watching businesses in general. I started being a student of business, not a business student i 'm not talking about you know if college isn't your bag that 's okay, but I mean being a student of business, looking at businesses that ran well and seeing what they did and started peeling back <clears throat> excuse me started peeling back the layers in terms of watching how they set up their infrastructure and then watching how the processes they they set up on top of that infrastructure so you know, for for example, we've all infrastructure is hard to notice when it's running well. Okay, it's when it's running well that you're like, oh yeah, things just run well there. But you don't realize it until it's broken or non-existent. And I'll give you a quick example. If let's say you walk up to a quick, to a McDonald's and there's a bunch of you know you've got the three or four registers that are open, right? And you've got kind of you've got the customers kind of standing back like away from the registers, and it's not really clear when you walk up who's been helped and who's not. So you kind of look at each other and go, have you been helped? Can I go like it? Right. So you're leaving it up to the customer to decide who's next. That's a problem of infrastructure. An easy way to fix that is to install a rope line or a metal queue, Right. And that's infrastructure right there. And you don't realize it until you go, man, that's, that's just, you know, they, they need to do something better, but you don't really know what. And when you're running your business with intention, that's with you when you're setting up that vision. And I started in doing things with more infrastructure. I put first first thing piece of infrastructure I put in place was getting sound property management software. And I did not go the cheap option. I went with a pretty expensive software package, but it really, really helped me operate so much more efficiently and effectively. And it made my business just that much more enjoyable because now I had a system, at least that I could scale on. And if I did want to uh, take on additional units, it didn't feel like this gigantic extra burden that I was taking on because I was taking on one or two or ten more units. So from my side of things, when I really started getting intentional, you know, it it was like, okay, I'm shifting this this um, paradigm from self-employed guy who's really crazy busy, to business owner, I mean, from the outside looking in, it probably looked like the Hulk turning back into David Banner, (laughs) right? (laughs) It was just, it was a mess. But little by little, and, and just day by day, I was putting these pieces of infrastructure in place that were able to help me operate much more effectively and efficiently.
0: I love that. So let's switch gears a little bit. And let's talk about maybe What was one of your best, or what is one of your best or or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And this can be an investment of money, of time, or energy.
1: Yeah, hands down. I don't even have to hesitate with that. It was when I got involved in BNI, which is a a business networking organization, and it was a fairly—I mean, it was both a pretty significant investment in money because I just didn't have any money at that point in time, but also an investment in time because there are weekly meetings. But the reason why I felt that that was important is because it was getting me around other successful people. And I was literally the least successful person in that room. And that's the way I want it. And that's, in fact, that's the way I still want it. Because I want to be the one in the room that's skewing the average down. No matter how successful I get, I want to be the one that's skewing the average down because you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be dragging them down. They're going to be pulling me up. And, and in some ways, I'm going to be able to help them. I mean, it's not all about me. I, I want to be able to help people that are in that room but that was probably the best investment that I ever made because it opened up opportunities. It opened up opportunities that I never would have otherwise had, had I not uh, been much more intentional with networking.
0: Let's talk about this VIP model that you have. I want to start with vision because I think, I believe that's that's the first one. So VIP, again, can you explain that for our listeners and, and what that kind of means? And then I want to kind of jump into vision and how our listeners can best create that vision so that they can maybe go on to create that infrastructure and so on and so forth.
1: Right. So it's vision infrastructure process. And with it's really, again, about establishing a absolutely crystal clear vision for your future. And one of the things that I talked about is, you know, getting, if you have a, a lot of people start out with what they don't want. Like, well, I don't want to work anymore. I don't want to work at my job anymore. I don't like working for a boss. Okay. You know what? If that's what you need to start with, that's fine. But I don't want to make a list of things that you don't want. Because here's, here's what happens when you have a list of things that you, it's like going to the grocery store with a list of things that you don't want to buy. Right. So if you put a list, if you put a list together of things that you don't want to buy, let's say you put bread, milk, and eggs on that list and you go to the grocery store, what are you going to see? Everywhere. You're going to see bread, milk, and eggs everywhere. Right. <laughs> so that's why I don't like lists of things that you don't want. I want things that I want lists of things that you do want, because that's going to put your antennas up and Getting you focused in in activities that are going to help you align your your day and your time and your activity and your energies towards the things that you do want. So I really don't like lists of things that you don't want. I really want you to start. Th- I mean, if you need to start that way to get the juices going, that's okay. But when you get that you know that three by five card out, that index card out, and get a stack of them, and I always I always write my vision for the future in the morning first thing in the morning and i mean i mean first thing in the morning like before nature you you know moms you know you get a pass if you have a baby you need to take care of first but even then after you've taken care of your duties you need to do this for yourself and and to those that are important to you is write down your vision for the future in terms of what it is and i'll give you a quick example i was working with a with a mother who was an investor and she her vision was she wanted to uh she wanted $34,000 a month in free cash flow she wanted to be debt free and she wanted to homeschool her children man when she told me and she gave me a she gave me a date she said i want to do this by by november 2020 and man when she told me that the the hair on my arm stood up because i knew that she got it i knew and i knew she was going to make it and she would get there now we're still i'm still working with her on that but that's a vision that you can really dial into and that you get excited about that you that would get you out of bed at three in the morning if it meant that's, that's what you had to do. So when you're really focusing on that vision, that's really where you get started. And again, it's easy to do, but it's easy not to do. So if you have a coach or a mentor or somebody that you can hold, help hold you accountable, you need them to hold you accountable in your activities with your vision. And it doesn't necessarily need to be me. It can be a coach or a mentor or someone that you trust but it can't be someone that has a higher need for acceptance or approval than they do to actually hold you accountable. So it can't be a spouse. It can't be a best friend. It can't be someone like that. It's gotta be someone that is going to call you on your nonsense when you're not doing the right things.
0: I love that so much. And I mean, you, you're so right. When you ask somebody what it is that they want, what is their vision for the future? What would they like to have? What would, who would they like to be? Where would they like to be? And it's funny Nine times out of 10, somebody's going to tell you exactly what they don't want. And they don't, I mean, it's it's just human nature. They don't do it on purpose. Like you say, Hey, I mean, what is it do you want in your future? You ask a direct question and they will tell you exactly what they don't want. It happens time and time again. And it's one of those things to where it's not as easy as it seems. It's like, you know, well, what do I really want? How do I discover that? And, you know, some people, I mean, I don't know who, but some people may tell you, you need to take time to yourself. You need to go visit some monks. You need to go pray about it. You need to go whatever. And I want to figure out, is there, is there a certain direct question or a certain way of thinking that you have your, your clients or your students walk through to kind of uncover that exactly what they want, And then we'll, we'll talk about how to build that infrastructure.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's, I'm glad you asked that because it, it is very difficult. And I found this out when I was holding evaluations for my uh, associates in my property management company I wanted to know what their goals were and not necessarily their business goals but their life goals I mean this is all about we don't you know we don't live to work right we work so we can live and then go home and do more do as much living as we possibly can and so I was really it was really disheartened that they were really having a lot of difficulty coming up with goals that were really meaningful to them so I came up with a with a phrase, I guess, or maybe a paradigm called anticipated joy. And the way that I talk about that is when, you know, the analogy that I use is let's say for argument's sake that you've been planning a vacation for the last eight months. And it's the weeks coming up to your, where you're actually getting ready to go on vacation. And now it's time to start you know, getting your bags packed and getting, you know, if you've got a passport, you know, make sure that you've got that it's not lost somewhere, right? You're getting all the things in alignment. You've already got all that stuff. You're just kind of making sure that you're putting it to the side so you know that when you're ready to go, there's not gonna be any hiccups. It's that it's that pit in your stomachs, those butterflies, it's that it's that, that uh that awesome anxiety that comes and you're like, Yeah, I cannot wait for this to happen until the day comes. That's anticipated joy or maybe for you single folks out there it's it's the the hours leading up to a person that you're really excited about seeing to a person that you're really excited about dating and that's that anticipated joy that's the feeling that you want to replicate in your vision for the future now it, you know you might have anticipated joy about having a cheeseburger right but probably not about the cheeseburger. It's probably about the experience around that. Maybe it's it's you, you know, you have a favorite place that you go to in Chicago to have some of your best, some of the best pizza ever or, or, or whatever it is, but it's probably more about the journey than it is the destination. And that's, that's really what people really need to be focusing on in terms of coming up with a vision for their future. So it, what, what, when you when you, do the exercise, like I had explained, you can just do that exercise for 30 days where it's the first thing you do in the morning and it's the last thing you do at night is you write your vision down. What's going to happen is that vision is going to evolve. And it's going to evolve rather quickly in the first couple of days. And, and what's going to end up happening is you're going to start writing things down and you're going to get sick of writing them because you go, you know what? I'm not willing to pay the price to make that happen. It's not a really big deal to me. I don't really want to learn to speak mandarin you know like it'd be cool but i where am i gonna you know that's not a thing i really can dial into i'm not willing to pay that price so something like that drops off but maybe something else comes on where you you know or you become a figure skater or something you know those are the sorts of things where you you can really dial into and when you write that down morning and night it really does help uh frame a very meaningful vision for your future so let's
0: use this example of your client who's looking to be debt-free and, and homeschool her children. So we, we have this vision. We know exactly what we want. What's the next step? How do we go about creating this infrastructure?
1: Right. And that's where infrastructure is, is it's unique to every business. Just like, you know, you don't go to the bank to get a loan, right? Because different banks lend differently, right? They're just different institutions and every person's business is going to be different just because they're they're different individuals. So, and and their backgrounds. So, you know, I would suspect that even though you and I have a very similar background in accounting, if we were going to set up two businesses, even if they had the same product mix and everything else, the infrastructures are likely to look vastly different, right? That's just because you and I are different people and we come with different experiences and we also come with different interests. We come with with hey, I really like the service part of this industry, and that 's what i 'm going to focus on, whereas you may focus on more of the product side of the industry. That, again nothing wrong with either of that, but that 's why I say when you have a very clear vision for your future, you can set up a, an infrastructure that 's in line with that vision, and almost always it 's going to be based around things like software, like in in this particular example with real estate, a sound and robust property management software and I mean when I mean robust, I mean one that is very customizable. Many of them will say that they are, and then they're not. But you want a property management software that is, that is going to, where you tell it how it should run your business, not the other way around. And that's where you work with a lot of, you know, that's where I do my work with a lot of people and to say, okay, so we're going to set up an infrastructure. We're going to set up the property management software. We're going to get you set up a, on a website that integrates with the property management software. We're going to get you into a, a phone system. You know, I ask people what their phone system looks like and almost invariably they pull out a cell phone and I say, oh, okay, that's cool. So it's totally fine for your residents to call you at three in the morning on a Sunday. And they usually shake their head. No, it's not okay. But I understand that's part of it. I'm saying then why are you giving your cell phone away? Why are you giving them permission to call you at three in the morning? Did you sign up for that when you started getting on rental properties? And you quickly become the bottleneck for being able to handle those sorts of calls. I mean, you need your rest. You, this is not time wealth. Someone else is controlling your calendar. And that's where you start saying, okay, well, with just very, very small tweaks to infrastructure, you get a voiceover IP phone or even another phone that routes, that routes those calls after a certain time to a, an after-hours answering service or a virtual assistant that handles 24-hour calling, things like that, which is not expensive to, put, to implement. For practically pennies, you can get you can get time wealth injected back into your world and start using your time that is the highest and best use of your time, not just becoming an employee for your for your residents.
0: So we've created a, a clear vision, and now we have these tools, especially in the twenty first century, to to kind of automate and not only automate, but be able to delegate and to actually even maybe delete some some, some things. But we have a vision; we have this infrastructure how do we bring it home how do we create a process that is going to allow us to get to this vision what's the last step
1: right and that's the that's the p that's the so it's vision infrastructure process it's a great question so the, the process it, i want you to think of the infrastructure as the train tracks of your business it's the they're set down on bedrock and these are the things that are really going to be i mean they may be tweaked from time to time but they're not these are this is what you're going to be building the foundation of your business on and then the train tracks Uh, or the process rather process is the is the locomotive that's the what the systems the process the protocols and what upon which you'll operate so things like process is going to be what are the rules upon which you're going to operate you know you may have you may have an infrastructure for collecting rent the infrastructure for collecting rent could be okay i'm going to have a an online payment portal through my website that updates my the tenant register instantly right That's the infrastructure. The process is okay. Well, the they need to know that they can go in and pay with a credit card, or they can pay with a debit card, or they can pay with an e-check. Right. So there's the you're going to have the rules upon which you'll operate on top of the infrastructure. So that's that's really the basics of it. But the way to do this, and I think the most simply simplest way to do that is to remove yourself anytime you find yourself to be the bottleneck. Anytime information needs to flow through you, or anytime activity needs to flow through you you need to be looking at yourself and saying okay a is this the highest and best use of my time and b can i give this to someone else can i eliminate it can i delegate it or can i can i automate it because if if i can't do that then i'm going to have to tie myself to that job for as long as i mean it, it could be something that you might never have to or may, you may never be able to give yourself away from and that's not a good scenario at all so If you, let's say for argument's sake, where people say, well, I have to do it all myself. It's, I can't rely on anybody else to do it, but here's really where it got sobering for me. And I really wanted the BTM tribe to really, if they get nothing else from what I said is this conversation I had with this guy, he was, I, he, I basically adopted him as my mentor, whether he liked it or not. He had said to me one time, he saw me kind of haggard a little bit more than usual. And this guy named Jeff, I never forgot this. And uh, I was looking a little bit rugged. Uh, one day, I was walking to my BNI chapter, and he said to me, "Hey, what's what's going on? You look a little tired." I said, "Yeah, I'm worn out. I'm doing all the leasing, the showings, the rent collections. The I mean, I'm doing everything. I didn't have any help. I didn't have any employees. I, it was 93 rental units, and I was managing all by myself." And he said, "Well, you know, what were you doing last night?" I said, "Well, I was painting an apartment until two in the morning." He says, "Oh, okay," and he nods his head and he just kind of sat there for a second. He says, "Let me ask you something." He says, "What?" what is your billing rate? And I said, at the time I was doing a side, kind of a side hustle while I was digging out of my, my mess. I was uh, repairing uh, appliances on the side as a side hustle. And I was billing, I think like 30 to $35 an hour or something like that. And he says, oh, okay. So your billing rate's what, $35 an hour? I said, yeah. He says, so what would it have taken you to pay someone to paint that apartment? And I said, I, I, I don't know, 10 or $12 an hour. And he goes, Okay, so you realize that's what you're paying yourself, right? And that, those words froze me in my tracks because that's when I realized how much I was costing my business by doing the low-end work all myself. And it was not the highest and best use of my time. And yeah, in the beginning, you, you do have to do some of that stuff yourself. But what I'm saying is fire yourself from those low-end jobs as quickly as you possibly can and start focusing on the higher-end work as as soon as you can and that's going to get you the time well that you want
0: lifestyle design acceleration hacks what is your favorite before the millions book
1: hands down think and grow rich by napoleon hill
0: boom you guys know all about that book so definitely if you haven't read that book please go read that book it's an amazing insightful book yeah what is your favorite lifestyle design app this can be a business app or tool
1: well, from a property management perspective, I do like, uh, property boss, but recently I came up, I came across contactually and it really helps me, It systematized my ability to stay in, in contact with people. So if you are someone who's a, a big into networking, I really suggest that you look into contactually software. It's, it is fantastic. I love it.
0: Definitely. And that, uh, the link to that will be in the show notes listeners. So if you're looking to, to kind of get uh, look into that, it will be in the show notes. Uh, What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed?
1: Oh man, that's a great question. Honestly, that I have the time to be intentional in my relationships and to include only those that make me happy. And probably more important than that is excising those that don't.
0: What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's easy. Letting go of control, <laughs> especially of things that I knew were not the highest and best use of my time.
0: I love that one. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why?
1: My dad. My dad is, I lost him last year, but he's still with me and he's my hero. He only had an eighth grade education, but he has taught me so much and he was and he is still my, my hero. I love you, dad. I'm, I miss you, but you're. I'm, I'm glad that you're still with me.
0: Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions?
1: I think so many get stuck because they're they're spending time on nonsense, either on things that aren't the highest and best use of your time or with people that only take from you, that people that just wear you down, those life force vampires. But fundamentally, I feel that they're not putting a high enough value on their free time. I mean, if you don't put a value in your free time, Someone else will.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mark Delphini. Mark, thank you so much. This has been super, super inspirational. I loved every single nugget that you've been able to share with myself and the listeners. And the little bit of growth I've already gained in, in, in our conversation together. I mean, this is the purpose of these calls. Like, I mean, we're able to explore the, the best and the brightest. And it's it's been amazing to kind of walk down your path and learn about your story and learn about some of the processes that you go through. Mark, if, the, if some of the listeners kind of want to get a hold of you, if they want to reach out to you, can we kind of plug in some of your information so we can get a, uh, get, get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, that'd be great. I'm at landlordcoach.com. You can reach out to me on Facebook at landlord coach.
0: There you have it. Again, Mark, this has been an amazing interview, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Very good. Thanks so much, and uh, I really appreciate the time. Take care, guys.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit to work with the Before the Millions team, here's what I want you to do next: head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. That's BeforeTheMillions.com call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and we'll get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what is your cash flow goal? How much are you looking to make every month? Number two, your personalized investing strategy. And number three, the best way to get started using cash flowing rental real estate. Remember, starting and scaling your real estate investments and business doesn't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We've helped clients all over the world start and scale their investing efforts to six figures and beyond, while enjoying life and making the world a better place. To find out if we can help you do the same, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. I'm Darrell Allier and let's talk soon.